Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of The Third Wheel. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron. And I'm your other host, Hamish. And today we are joined by Steph, a call out from both Anu and Natalie, like around like the 50th episode mark. So we're like plus 50 episodes later. Hi, Steph. How you doing? Hi, I'm good. It's early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's okay. Would you like to just like introduce yourself a bit? Sure. Hi, I'm Steph. I'm 25 years old. I actually grew up in Hong Kong and then only moved to the UK when I was 13 years old. I'm currently the founder of Asians in Britain, which is a platform that was created to amplify British Asian voices and ultimately empower and inspire, well, hopefully the British Asian youth. As my day job, I'm also an innovations business analyst, which I enjoy as well, <laughs> just in case my company's listening. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can start off there with Asians in Britain because that's kind of I can't remember if that's how we like kind of go in contact, whether it was that or through the call outs on the podcast first. I think it's around like the same kind of similar time ish. But yeah, Asians in Britain, you mentioned it briefly there, but like, what if someone was like, what is it? What would you say? I usually tell people it's like a media platform, but it's mostly on Instagram and we also have a website. So these are like the two main, I guess, media outlets that we share all our stories. So essentially, I was like really inspired of Humans of New York, you know, how it's just like a photo with words underneath it. And I feel like it was so powerful and it's like a great way to share people's stories. And growing up in the UK, you know, you never see any British Asians in the media. Like you do, but it's rare, especially yeah. even if you see South Asians, like when, you, when it comes to like East and Southeast Asians, it's almost like invisible. So I, I just thought, why is there no, none of us in the media. And I thought, you know, we're not a monolithic group. We have so many differences. We do so many different things. We're actually a pretty interesting bunch, but why is nobody like sharing our stories and sharing how there are successful Asians in the UK? So I just thought to myself, you know, I want to create something to share, you know, these stories. But actually, essentially, when I first thought about the idea, I kind of just put it aside because I thought, you know, maybe nobody cares about it. And that's why you don't really see any platforms like that on social media, or you don't see us in movies or films or TV series. But then interestingly, I think it was after I graduated my undergraduate degree, I was going on a Tinder date and <laughs> I was talking to this guy and he was just like asking me about like what my passions are. And side note, like all my friends are like, that's so interesting. When you go on a date, you actually talk about your passions because most people just go into like something else. And I was like, oh, I don't know why. Anyways, and he was sharing how, you know, he grew up in Portugal and moved to the UK because here, like there's like some kind of like medical treatment that help his mom. Like his mom has a special kind of like heart issue. Mm -hmm. Anyways, but his dream is to become a footballer. But growing up, everyone always tells him that you never become a footballer. It's so hard. It's one in a million chance. I don't know. Yeah. But he never gave up that dream. So every day after work, he would train from like seven to eight or nine every single day. Essentially, now he managed to get some kind of like scholarship to go to America to train properly. And also it's like a part-time degree as well. So, you know, it's not going into the Premier League or something like that. But for him, it's like some kind of semi-professional yeah like career i guess what um how old was he at the time similar to my age i'm guessing he's probably like 26 now and when did he start like training and like 
take it like when he was young like he started training when he oh. was super young okay i was i was thinking if i still had the chance but <laughs> <laughs> it's never too late <laughs> yeah yeah and he was just asking me and I, w- I actually shared it with him this idea and he was super supportive he's like because he's black and he just he was telling me you know like the black community we're so outspoken you know we don't care if the media doesn't rep- want to represent us we represent ourselves we share our own stories we inspire our own people and he was just like yeah like i agree like i never see any british asians in the media and i think you should do something like that but i was kind of like putting it off i'm just like giving myself excuses saying oh i don't have time i need to like apply for jobs i need to do this and that but then he's just like you know what like if you don't do it today you're gonna 10 years later you're gonna either see someone else doing it and completely be like oh my gosh that's my idea or just regret it for the rest of your life and you know, the way he said it, I was just like, oh my gosh, okay, fine. Like I need to do this. And he told me like, start tonight, create the account tonight. And I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. And I was lucky because two of my flatmates at that time, they're both British Asian. So I just like, my first two interviewees were them. And that's how I started and grew to where it is today. So it's a bit of a rocky journey, but yeah, definitely like worth it. Last weekend. And what, like what age were you when you first like had the idea? I kind of had a brief idea when I was in high school and then when I got to uni I completely forgot about it because I was too focused in like uni mm-hmm. life you know like and like studying and I was going through other things because like in uni <laughs> I ended up studying law even though I didn't really want to and it was a bit tough so I was like going through that as well so I completely forgot about this platform until I graduated and I had some like free time to think about I guess life and what I wanted to do mm-hmm. that's when I kind of properly thought about it again if you go into your Instagram, it's just like a series of posts and each post is like dedicated to a particular person from the Asian community. And then you kind of like do like a, like a profile. Would that be right? Like yeah. an, interview, an interview with them, basically. Yeah, essentially. In the very beginning, it was just inviting friends who I know is British Asian who's happy to share their story. And they would usually tell me, oh, I have another friend who would love to share their story. And it kind of just branched out there in terms of like friends of friends and then their friends. And then I think the more interviews I did, you know, you're more, I guess, confident about yourself, about your platform. So I started sliding into random people's DMs. I would kind of like go on Instagram and search like different like tags, um, people doing different things. And that's how I stumbled upon like random people that I've never met in my life or they're not friends of friends. And from there as well, after I interview them, they will be like, oh, I have a bunch of musician people that I work with do you want to interview them? And that kind of just like branched from out there. And I think the more, the bigger the platform grew from there, people would start reaching out to me. And I feel like when that started, I felt, oh damn, people are actually like reading my stories, like reading the stories I'm sharing and they're liking my platform. So yeah, I think it's a mixed range of different responses, I think. Yeah, I think we, I don't know how interesting, but I think we were kind of similar at the very beginning, it's literally just like all friends. But I mean, I don't know when the first one was where we neither of us knew knew that person like properly. But yeah, I think it is like yeah. Once once we got to a point where we'd released quite a bit, then we might just like kind of slide into like some random people's DMs and see what they were saying and stuff like that. When we were like organizing this episode, you had like a bit of a. I think you you said it was like a photo shoot going on with for Asians in Britain which seems like even from the post it seemed like a really kind of big thing 
What what was that all about? Yeah, that's probably like the biggest production I ever did for Asians in Britain. So essentially, I think it was maybe April time when my co-producer Chris, essentially, who I also interviewed, I think two years ago when I first started, he's a musical director, and he reached out to me, and we were just like chatting in general and talking about all the anti-Asian hate crimes and how we're like feeling anxious and what's been happening essentially in the news. And he just like shared his idea. He, he's just like, oh, actually, I have a really interesting idea I want to share with you. I want to create a photo shoot. The main goal is not to say, hey, we should fight, you know, all these anti-Asian hate crimes or fight this or fight that. It's not very, I don't want to use the word aggressive, but it's less kind of, let's do this. Let's, it's not like an action thing. It's more just simply show that Asian people, especially the East and Southeast Asian people can look shit hot. That's what she is phrase, like look shit hot. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, sure. I would love to like help you out. And it just went from there. We start like looking for photographers. We had an open call and, you know, it just went from there. And we managed to find our very talented photographer, Vanessa, who I also interviewed in the past. And we just came together and started like brainstorming ideas, like how do we want it to look like? What do we want people to dress? And the idea was to make everyone dressed in kind of more Western style, like, you know, golden globes kind of formal type of like dress and suit or whatever they want to wear and just go from there. And in terms of like finding the people, it again, it was an open call to like ask anyone who's interested. Was it like like volunteering, like a volunteer basis? Yeah. So we really wanted to like do something, you know, like get funding and probably like pay people. But then we realized that it's very difficult. And mm. we thought, you know what, this is this whole thing we're doing. It's on a voluntary basis for ourselves as well. We're not gaining money from it. We honestly just want to do something to, I guess, encourage the community after so many negative news about like people being beaten up, people being literally murdered because of their race, um, especially the East and Southeast Asian community. So yeah, essentially, I guess we're really lucky as well that so many people want to volunteer their time and share their like, you know, skills and knowledge. You know, we managed to find two makeup artists, one stylist to like help out on the day. And it was literally 9am to 5pm the whole entire day. And we had in total 20 models come. And actually in the beginning, the idea was just to have 10, but then so many people applied. There were around like 50 plus people who applied and we couldn't turn away everyone. Like we just wanted to have everyone. So we kind of increased the number to 20. But yeah. And during the day, yeah, it was really weird because we've never done anything like that. We've never seen anything like that before mm-hmm. anywhere. So in some way, just seeing all these models walk in, all the makeup artists walk in, everyone walking into the studio, it was really empowering. And I did a lot of like after shoot interview with the models and quite a few of them mentioned that they've never walked into a room and just instantly felt like home. And I was That's like, nice. whoa. <laughs> You know, like usually you go to, even if it's like a networking event or any like, if they go to like a photo shoot, other photo shoots, or if they go to like a music event, whatever it is, usually they are a minority and they have to almost like put out a front to mingle and talk to other people. But whereas in this occasion, they just walked in and people just clicked instantly. It was as if they've known each other for a long time. 
and they have so many things in common. They were sharing ideas and people. It was essentially a networking event as well. A lot of people gain friends or people who work in like the music or I guess theater industry start like connecting each other and then saying like, oh, I have this idea. I want to create this, I don't know, musical. Would you be interested to do this? Or, oh, I have this idea. Like, what do you think? It was, it was really cool. Yeah. So I think it was more than just a photo shoot. It was essentially a time to bring some positivity and, you know, support to the community when like all the like pandemic stuff has been happening. Yeah. No, that's really nice. How is it for you? Like, cause this is your platform that kind of created that. Do you like think like, oh shit, have I, have I managed that? Yeah, honestly, like, like thinking back, it was a lot of hard work and I, I honestly feel like I was majorly like burnt out after Mm. like those two months, just like just doing the shoot on the day and then doing all these interviews immediately afterwards and just like editing overnight and trying to like publish it straight like within like two, three days. But I think it was really worth it. I think it changed how I view my platform in some way that it's not just a platform to share stories, which I think is our core what we do essentially is to share mm-hmm. stories and amplify voices. But I've kind of sort of started to think, oh, what else can my platform do? What other things we can do? And seeing how successful the photo shoot was, honestly, I really want to expand it to not just include East and Southeast Asian because essentially we only did it in response to the anti-Asian hate crimes. But we want to expand it to South Asians and even like Central Asians. So I actually had a few people reach out to me and they say, oh, hey, I'm Central Asian. I would love to be part of your platform. And I feel like in the past, I've never really thought about that because I always think, okay, Asian, probably just South East and Southeast Asian. But, mm. you know, I, I, I was like, oh, yeah, like, why didn't I think about Central Asians as well? Which, yeah, I think I really need to expand that. And I also had a lot of feedback after the photo shoot. Essentially, they were saying how the photo shoot kind of re- I don't know what what's the word for it kind of you know how in the community there's a lot of colorism there's a lot of like fat phobia and stuff like that and they said I'm reinforcing that idea by having not enough people from like with like darker skin or people who are with Hmm. of a different body type but I think I really agree with that and I think we really need to put more effort into like trying to find those people because we had an open call and we didn't really actively search for people. We just like, like say, you know, here is a photo shoot, just apply. So in that sense, actually more than the 50 people who applied, unfortunately weren't very diverse in that sense. Yeah. So yeah, this is something I like learned from it to like, you know, you know, sometimes you just have to like put in more effort because even if people like people don't like, maybe people see our platform as not just, you know, like a platform started by a random, like 25 year old person at that time I was 21. but you know, it, it is a platform that people think almost like represent the community. So, you know, in that sense, I need to put more effort into like trying to do more and not just like take a more passive kind of, I don't know how to say it, but yeah, be more like. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. When you go onto your page, I wouldn't think like it was just created by like one person. You'd think it was kind of like actually like a brand, which you've made it into. But I think people will be thinking as like probably a company behind it or something. Yeah. Did you have any? Because this is something I've like for our own channel that I've thought about. Like, our channel has a very distinct like look. Like everything, all the graphics like look the same and everything. And it's like the feed, it's going up like that. You had a similar thing going on with like the text. I'm looking here is like some text highlighted in blue, the name highlighted in red. You have a certain effect, and then you have to switch it up for this photo shoot. 
how did you, did you like that? Did you like, were you a bit, cause I, for me, myself, I'm like, okay, no, it has to be like this. It has to stay that kind of way all the way through. Otherwise it's like, yeah, it's just going to look bad. No, I agree with you. I think when I first started, I, I had this idea. I want everything to look the same and same aesthetic, you know, yeah. same font, everything. But if you scroll to the very bottom, like the very few, hmm. like first, maybe I think 10, 20 yeah, interviews. Yours has evolved. It has definitely evolved. In the middle, I kind of like honestly messed up the aesthetics a bit. But then I managed to find like a graphic designer who actually is my flatmate currently. And he kind of helped me change up, like make it better, essentially evolve to what it is today which I really like. But with the photo shoot, I think, you know, essentially because it's kind of a separate, to a certain extent, a separate event. Um, it's slightly different to the normal kind of, I just like interview someone and just post their story kind of thing. So I was more willing to change it up a bit. And I actually quite like the new aesthetic as well. I was thinking, oh, maybe I can like change all my, all the new interviews into that kind of aesthetic. But I thought, okay, that's way more like effort. So I just went back to like what we did before. But I mean, it's okay. I think it's distinctive because, you know, when people scroll, they know that it's a specific special event that has happened. So in in the future, if I do something similar, I can just create something similar to what I did with a photo shoot. So people like know immediately, oh, it's it's a similar event. I also noticed on your website, you've got like our core team. When When I spoke to you for Asian Britain, I think I think I just like assumed it was like you, yeah, and then that was it. But you seem to have got like a team now, or yeah. you, you always had one. But like, is that also kind of like a like a voluntary basis? They are like, hey, do you need some help, or you ask them to help and stuff like that. Yeah, honestly, everyone's doing it on voluntary basis. That's why one of my goals or vision is to hopefully one day be able to like pay people. But yeah, like everyone's doing it on voluntary basis. Actually, most people on the team either reached out by themselves saying, hey, like, I would love to like help you out. Or some of them, especially like, for example, like Sunil, Teresa, I actually interviewed them. So I knew them through interviewing them and I knew them through friends as well. Actually, in fact, I met Sunil on a dating app as well. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you, you met him on a dating app? Yeah, I met him on Hinge. <laughs> okay. And did you go on a date? Yeah, we went on like four dates. Three. Yeah. But yeah, like we just like essentially we became friends. Okay. And he was really interested in the platform. And I said, hey, like, and he's a UX designer. And I said, would you be interested to like help out? And he was like, yeah, of course. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's why some people said, do you go on dating apps to date or do you go on dating apps to find <laughs> friends or find people to work for your platform? <laughs> <laughs> me, me and Amy should have the idea a while back to like go on Tinder to try and find guests. That's honestly a really good idea. I'm telling you. Like, like literally, but like putting a bio, like, do you want to come to a podcast? Like literally not, not be like, make it obvious that it's not for like a date kind of thing. But I uh, feel like people will be really interested, you know, because it's Yeah, but different. I don't know if we'd get banned. Hmm. I don't know if that's like a thing, like. I was more concerned about getting banned <laughs> than getting guests. Yeah, because that could affect my future, like, <laughs> my future relationship status, you know, if I have one less platform. <laughs> no, honestly, like you can just do what I did, like kind of go on it. But I also like mention, hey, I have this platform. Every time I say, like, if somebody reach out to me, hey, like, how are you? Whatever. I just say, hey. And then second line, be like, hey, by the way, I have this platform. Would you be interested? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's just weird. Did you get a good response from that? Yeah, like, I actually interviewed quite a few people that I met on like a dating app. So I think it's okay. Like, like they know that they were like, are we going on a date because you want to go on a date? Or I'm like, 
yeah, content. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, okay, cool. Maybe maybe the like the profile picture would just need to be like the podcast like artwork so make make it clear. Yeah. And maybe that's what attractive about it is that you guys are like podcasters and they're like, we love a good podcaster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been it's been a thing the last like couple of years. So especially during lockdown. No, that's really cool. It's something like, yeah, Hamish, if we were building a team for the, I don't know if that's even like, what would you think it would be? Like, what would people do? A team around us for Ted Wheeler. Yeah. I would want someone to be like handling, because I assume in future, if we're, if we're at that stage, that means we can probably pay out someone, yeah. We'd, we'd need like a video and editing person. Well, it could be like or, a volunteer thing as well. Yeah. Or, yeah. So if it's a volunteer thing, then we need more people just because people will have less time. Whereas if it's paid, we can get less people. So if it's volunteer, then we need someone to handle the video stuff, someone to handle the editing if it can't be the same person. And ideally, we'll probably need an audio person to clean up. And then me and Aaron can e- easily handle getting the guests, I guess, for the most part. But if we wanted, I'm sure there could to be. To fair, could have someone to like schedule guests. Yeah, schedule yeah. And like find guests. Do all the talking. But I think that us doing a bit of the research ourselves or speaking to the guests beforehand. It lets us know a rough idea of how we can, you know, like go with the episode. Steph, do you speak to all your guests or do you have someone else on the team who also does like interviews and stuff? I speak to all my guests because like for me, that's the fun part. That's what I enjoy the most. Editing is a pain, but um, <laughs> which I'm sure you know, but I'm kind of recently I've been kind of talking to more people and we got another person to volunteer for our platform and and we were talking and then I thought, because I think he's based in the Midlands. So he said, actually, you know, or further, actually, no. Anyways, he's not based in London. So I, and he said, oh, maybe I can interview some people outside of London. So it's easier for you. And I said, you know what? Like, yeah, because in the past, I think it was very difficult for me to like, let go of that, like interviewing position. Cause I just really like, like love doing that. But then thinking about it, it's getting more and more difficult as you want to interview more people. You know, I can only schedule one a day. Because, you know, you just burn out after work, especially, you, you know, and then during weekends, even if I do one, if I do interview like the whole day, I won't have time to like socialize with other people. Yeah. So, yeah, it's getting more difficult. So being, I guess, nice to have other people to help out with interviewing. But I don't know how it'd be like, because I'm guessing like people have different interview styles, how they like talk to people. So, but maybe that's a good thing as well. It kind of changes yeah. up the stories and how they're told, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's something actually that I've, I think Hamish has mentioned before, like having someone or a few people, maybe like if one of us couldn't do it, having someone to like be in our place to maybe like do like a podcast with or a podcast interview with. But then I was, I think I was against it just because like, just in case like that episode is sick and I've like missed out on it. Like I don't want to like, if that episode blew up and I, I was not in it, I'd be like, oh shit, that's a massive L for me. That's, <laughs> I might as well just quit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's more for like a selfish reason. One one thing I think I'd also want is if we had a team is like one person just doing like monthly events for us, like whether it's all the guests or like a small set of like first come first serve guests or something, whatever. Like I'd just like to that way it could be like socials as well, you know. So then that way we'd have like the editing taken care of, and we can do socials without having to organize it ourselves because you know organization's a bit of a pain. Just having it done for us is nice, and then we'll just handle literally booking in guests, recording. And literally, that's it. It would be nice to have a studio, but I don't know. Yeah. 
And there's actually something that um, when you were talking, Steph, like how for like the photo shoot, you already interviewed someone who was able to help you out or like a few people and then a few people in your team, you'd already previously interviewed them. I think that's really cool. Like I, I imagine it, like I hope from our like platform as well that there'll be like situations where we maybe are looking for something or need something and then it'll be like, oh yeah, we we met this person on the podcast and able to do this. But there's a lot of power in like, yeah, I guess just knowing people or knowing a lot of people. No, yeah, for sure. Actually, I was going to add as well, I should add you guys to this group chat because essentially I think in the beginning of the pandemic, it's, it's mm. Natalie. So Natalie from Yellow Bee Pod, me and this okay, other yeah. guy, Simon from Bam and Beyond. We kind of started this WhatsApp group chat called the British Asian Creatives. And essentially, you know, we went from just, I don't know, 10 of us to now there's over a hundred of us in that group chat of different like people who dabble, even if they dabble in creative stuff, it doesn't matter. And it's a great way to find people to like interview, I guess, and also find volunteers to like help out. So essentially even for the photo shoot we even put a call out there saying hey like any one of you guys are like photographers do you want to help out or even like a lot of people also share like volunteer opportunities or job opportunities out there as well so it's pretty good so i should add you guys and you can probably great way to advertise your podcast as well yeah that'll that'll, that'll be wicked yeah what are your future plans for asian britain in like long short term long term whatever yeah, actually, I thought about that a lot more recently. I always kind of see my platform as, you know, like, yeah, obviously I share those stories. But then when the more I thought about it, I really want to like kind of slowly go into more, like create something kind of like a mentorship, like scheme or app or whatever it is, because essentially all these people I've interviewed are doing something, you know, and they're doing quite well. And whatever they're doing and I feel you know they would be great people to mentor the younger generations and this idea came from the fact that when I was growing up I never really had a mentor and I feel like if I had a mentor of some sort they could have guided me to make a better decisions about you know my career or just how I view I don't want to say life in general but kind of like life in general you know, I remember in high school, we had a career counselor of some sort, but they honestly didn't know anything. You would ask them, hey, like, I'm kind of interested in art. And they would just, oh, here's a great link. Just look it up. And that's it. And it's kind of, it kind of sucks. You know, you, you, you tell like a 16 year old, hey, just Google it. And like, what's the point of a career counselor? And even when I was in uni, we had a career counselor of some sort in the law department, but all they know is like, all the careers in law, not outside of law, right? And being someone who's studying law who didn't want to go into law, it was very hard to find something else. And I felt like all my doors are closed because I don't know what else I can apply for and what kind of skills I can use for other jobs, mm-hmm. right? And I end up just having to do like literally Google everything or just ask my friends if they know anything. So I feel like having a mentor of some sort would be great to just like share like, let's say if I'm interested, I don't know, like singing, I want to pursue a career in singing and I might not have a platform yet. Like if I know someone who's kind of succeeding as a singer of some sort and has a platform on Instagram, whatever, and they're willing to talk to me, I can like ask them different questions. They can, I guess, guide me as to like, oh, what are the first few steps that I can do to even like pursue that as a career, right? Like what should I do? Like, should I take singing lessons or should I just, you know, share 
me singing on Instagram or do, should I yeah. use TikTok? Like, you know, things like that. I think that'll be very useful. And also to show the people that, you know, you don't have to pursue this traditional career of becoming a lawyer, engineer or a doctor. There's actually a range of other things that you can do and that you can just be just as successful. So, yeah, that was what I was thinking. But again, like I probably need more time um, and more resources <laughs> to really look into yeah. that and do something about it. But that's definitely in the back of my mind. Yeah, yeah, it is the thing where like you have so many ideas to like grow something, but a lot of it is just like time and money that you kind of yeah. need and are waiting on. Yeah. But yeah, that's awesome. Where can people find the platform? You can find us on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube as well. We're actually starting posting YouTube videos of like all the video interviews we did in the past. We're also, we started a TikTok account. And we only shared one video, but that's pretty much it. I'm not really good at Did you do TikTok. Well on TikTok. No, like literally just there's just one video and that's it. Didn't do much okay. about it. But I feel like, yeah, TikTok is again a different social media platform and it's a different way of creating content. So you really need to Yeah, like it, it's very difficult to manage all the platforms because each platform have a they require a different way of presenting things. Yeah. So I mean we need like tiktok volunteers yeah like literally dedicated <laughs> like tiktokers to help out yeah but yeah like we're all we're literally on all platforms and we also have a podcast as well high expectations which is on spotify apple podcast google not google is there a google podcast yeah i think there is yeah, yeah there is yeah so all these like platforms as well so yeah awesome yeah we'll put uh put links to it in the description too the podcast how's how's that been going well we're actually on a break and the break went from hey we'll have a two-month break to like a year <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we literally like honestly like compared to you guys i really really admire how you guys are so good at it you know keep going keep interviewing people we did 10 episodes and we were already burnt out <laughs> we we're like okay we're done let's go on a break and mostly because like all four of us we i guess like same as you guys but we're just so busy with our own thing on the side like I was still still trying to grow Asians in Britain as well. And, you know, like at that time, I think Sunil was like moving houses and he was getting a new job. And like Teresa was also like finding a new job at that time when we went on a break. And Krishna, who's actually my colleague at work, <laughs> he was like really busy with work essentially. So yeah, we just said, oh, let's go on a break. But then we didn't realize that we were so busy and just so, I don't know, we just put it aside. But we are planning to come back. So, you know, yeah. stay tuned. Yeah, we'll watch this space. You got a couple other um, Instagram channels I saw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how much you want to go into it, but I there's someone that was called Ploopagram. Yeah. And <laughs> like, a, you're like a personal like design channel. Yeah. The Ploopagram, right, is just bathrooms. Yeah. Because of bathrooms, right? <laughs> Why? Why? Um, <laughs> what, like, what, what started that? That's more like a personal passion project, I guess you could put it like that. I don't know. I always had this fascination with toilets, not in a weird way, but whenever when I'm in a restaurant, I always check out their toilet. As as in like the actual toilet itself, <laughs> with the bar, like the room. No, like the bathroom, like the entire okay, room, okay. not just like the toilet. Okay. But you know, you, you go into these really nice restaurants and sometimes you go to the toilet and it's terrible. And personally, I think 
if you're going to be a five-star restaurant, you should have a five-star toilet as well, not a one-star toilet. So that kind of just sparked me like this idea, like I really want to share like different nice toilets and just like rate them. And my rating system is very com- like complex, okay? It's, oh, do you rate them as yeah. Oh, yeah, you do, yeah. It's like, you know, how good is the toilet paper? Is the flushing good? Does it smell good? Is the tap working fine? You know, like all these different things. So, <laughs> yeah. That's actually a lot like cooler than I thought. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you thought like it was a random person doing toilets. Yeah. Toilets are a bit, they are, like when I do go into a nice toilet, I do like, go oh shit this is cool i think i even remember when i was in america taking a photo of uh i remember going to going to some bar or something and then going into the the bathrooms and it was like cassettes wow the wall was just made of cassettes which i just thought was really cool i've got like a photo of it yeah i was uh, yeah this uh this rating system's like hamish's uh hamish has got like a restaurant rating system nice i think yours might be a bit more in depth but Nice, it's I cool. Know the toilet hygiene plays a part <laughs> of the hygiene ring, you know. So like, it does. It, <laughs> I can't remember the last time I went to a restaurant with a, like a nice bathroom anymore. I think I feel like it. I I just distinctly remember Grad Ball Aaron when we were at that hotel. Do you remember what was that one? I don't know. No. Do you remember a third year Grad Ball with Alex McPherson? That where was that? Yeah, I, I remember the ball, but if you tell me to remember, like I don't remember the toilet. The reason <laughs> I remember it is yeah, like the you know the sink. Basin. It wasn't like a one multiple sinks. It was like one big sink sloped, and then there was like multiple drains. Like it was it was on this nice like marble or like slated type of thing. Mm-hmm. It was such a nice like sink to use, and I was like, oh, this is- <laughs> I won this in my flat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's one of those things that are like sick here, but like you know that you're not gonna, you know, have it. I'm trying to find out. Is it Hilton Hotel? I don't know. It <laughs> oh, that rings a bell. Do you have a favorite? Bathroom you've been to, favorite toilet. That's a good question. What's the highest? Like I don't know how many of you posted. Honestly, can't remember now. Quickly see overalls. I'm just thinking. Actually, you know what? Let me have a look. Okay, there's one in Canary Wharf, which is an eight point four rating. Yeah, that was pretty nice, and it's literally the highest so far. It's kind of like eight point seven. To be honest, you can't count Canary Wharf. They always extra nice things. Like, have you seen the Weatherspoons bathroom there as well? The Weatherspoons bathroom yeah. there, like, I felt like I was going into some, like, premium, like, gin bathroom. <laughs> Weatherspoons like, is, not, okay, maybe not the bathroom, but, like, Weatherspoons in terms of, like, how it looks. Weatherspoons generally look quite good, I think. No, no, no. Like, just this one is, Aaron, this one is different. Aaron, like you, if you're going to go to a Weatherspoon, as much as I hate to promote Weatherspoons, go to the Canary Wharf one. <laughs> I think I'm just looking through it. I think one of my favorites probably like at Chotomate. It's like a one of them got nine point four. Oh, which one? Um, sketch. Oh yeah, I like that. I mean, that's pretty. Everyone. Yeah, I've... it is pretty cool, especially the egg shaped toilet. I feel like I'm going into like an alien spaceship and having a nice time <laughs> in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, it's super clean as well, so that's nice. Ben was listening. Check out. Check out the sketch toilets. But no, that's, that's just a little like, yeah, that's a, a cool thing on the side, I guess. Like just something, just something funny to do. Yeah. And another one is your like kind of design, design page. Yeah. That's again, like another passion project. I have too many passion projects. Well, it's like, I guess I've always enjoyed art and design. And actually I really want to go into 
design, specifically mm-hmm. UX design, because I really enjoy doing all these things. So yeah, that's just kind of something I do on the side just to, for fun. And, you know, especially when I'm stressed out or things are getting a bit too much, I just like go into like drawing. So that's what I do. Yeah, that's, yeah, just something on the side. And actually, I don't know if I've shared that on my platform as well. I actually run another platform, but I've stopped recently and it's called (laughs) the Dream Catalog. Essentially, you know how people we dream like really like strange dreams sometimes. So what I did was I partnered with Sunil, who was also on my podcast and also helped me out with graphic design. Um, And he would draw out the story. So it essentially becomes a short story. Okay. So yeah, they're pretty strange. One was about one 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 was about how in my dream, essentially I was sleeping and it was a bunk bed and the top bunk fell on me. And instead of like it being like something falling on you, it turned into like a thousand snakes and it fell on me. It sounds really weird right now. But yeah, that's one of the stories I shared. Oh what? Snakes. Wait, wait. Oh, so, it, oh. so yeah, like the when it fell on me, it became snakes. And in my dream, I remember I was like bitten and I was dying. And I just slowly died in my dream and I woke up from it. It's a bit, yeah. Do you believe like dreams mean something? To a certain extent. I actually did search. I was like, oh, what does this mean? I can't remember what it means now, but. Got too many snakes in your life. (laughs) Too many people to cut out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that's another like just silly thing I do on the side. But I've kind of stopped right now because I'm just doing too many things. So I need to focus. So yeah. Do you, Hamish, do you ever have like a, like a dream when you're a kid or even now or whatever that you, like, do you ever have a dream that was like repeating, that repeated? Yeah, I have like reoccurring nightmares of like snakes. So I like absolutely hate snakes. So like I just, the last one I, I vividly remember was I was basically sleeping in this thing. And then, so in my dream I was sleeping, but then a snake started wrapping around the bed, like wrapping around me. So like it was like a seatbelt to me into the bed. And like since there, it's like a reoccurring nightmare and I don't like it. I remember that one like clearly because it's just like horrid. Because like, yeah, what, what do you, you do snakes, with a snake? So. How do you deal with a snake? Do you know what I mean? Accept your death. And <laughs> um, when when did that stop? Did that for me? Was it like a kid? Was that like when you were no, a kid? No, I I even still have these recurring ones. I just haven't had one recently enough. So like in the last few months. So on that sense, I'm quite happy I haven't had one. But I don't. That want means there's a, there's a snake in your life. Yeah, totally you are, isn't it? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Did you get it before you did? If it started like no, no, during it was, uni, maybe. it was way before. It was way before. Okay, okay good. It's one of the boys, but it's one of the boys. <laughs> <laughs> my, my only one I can remember was a. Uh, like, it'd be like, there'd be like a nursery or like a play school, whatever. This is when I was like really young. And then I'd like go down like a slide or whatever. And then I'd come out of the slide and then there's the BFG, you know, like Roll Dolls BFG. <laughs> yeah. And then he'd, uh, he'd, he'd, he'd kidnap me. But he's a friendly giant. <laughs> exactly. So I never, I can't watch, I don't like watching, there's a BFG film, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't, I haven't seen it because I just, yeah, no, not good. I ain't got good feelings towards the BFG. I was interpreted the BFG is like so big, like his, like basically his shoulder and head's bit is in the clouds. So like, I don't know. I, th- I think in the dream, like he was, a, <laughs> he was a height of an adult. Okay. But it was, it oh, looked for you because you're a like, high of a kid, it makes a difference. Yeah. yeah. It, it, he, like, yeah. He looked, he had the same face as the BFG in the ears and stuff like that. Yeah. But that was only when I was a kid. I, I haven't had on. So I can't remember the last time I had that dream. I usually have like some as well with like recurring, like, you know, like the wolves you imagine to be in jungles and the most vi- the violent ones, like the super predator ones, the wolves that would like tear you apart and eat you. Like sometimes yeah. I have those ones. 
And it's usually on the, the staircase that I have outside my house that like I'm either fighting them off or I'm getting dragged down it or something, you know, by my leg or something. Yeah, so that's the other one I have, but I don't remember other re- reoccurring dreams. Yeah, these are all like bad dreams. These like, are bad. You only remember most yeah. of the bad ones, isn't it? Like you don't remember necessarily yeah, I guess the good so. ones. So when your brain's in a somewhat okay place. I don't think my dreams are bad necessarily. It's just very strange. I feel like snakes falling on you is pretty bad, you know? Yeah. But I wasn't, <laughs> the weird thing is in my dream, I wasn't scared. It was more, I was oh. more at peace and I kind of just accepted death. Like it was really weird. That's why I'm just like, I probably was going through something. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I hope the dream catalog wasn't just like, yeah, just nightmares. Like all of them. There was one actually that was, wasn't from me. Like I started and actually my friend shared her dream with me and her dream was very gruesome. It was in her dream. She was, <laughs> she was a spy and she got found out. So people were like chasing her down and she like stumbled upon something and fell down. And it was like two plastic bags. And inside the two plastic bags were two heads that were like bloody. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Like, are you going through something in life that you want to share? Did she know the heads? Sorry? Were they random heads? Or did um, she, like, I think know? it was random heads. Like, okay. yeah. And I'm like, oh, wow. But then yeah, I'm like, a that's bit. a great story. Let me share it. <laughs> <laughs> content <laughs> but yeah cool let's let's move on a bit in our plan like something you mentioned was your journey with mental health and actually like going to therapy yeah i think it's something you said you haven't really like spoken about like previously yeah i've just kind of learned to be more open about it like i've shared a little bit on my like podca- on my own podcast but not to the extent of like Hey, I go to therapy all the time. Um, but you know, I realized, you know, the more we talk about it, the more normal like normal it is. And honestly, it should be normal. And I've been encouraging all my friends to go to therapy if they want to. <laughs> um yeah. but yeah, like how often do you go? Well, so when I first went to therapy it was like in second year of uni. And actually it was like probably like one of like the tougher times during uni. I was really unhappy with studying law actually like I really like I hated it and I'm just like I really want to quit but then the Asian side of me was like I don't want to disappoint anyone so I just kind of mm-hmm. like stuck with it so it was kind of difficult for me and on top of that I was also going through a breakup I think yeah it was like the end of second year ish into third year so I just needed like I was like having panic attacks and I didn't know it was a panic attack And then when I realized it, I was just like, you know what? I think I need to talk to someone. It was like kind of a realization of needing to talk to someone, needing like help almost. Hmm. But yeah, like it wasn't a very easy journey because a lot of, I don't know if you call them all therapists, but they're like, I don't know, psychologists, psychiatrists, like they're slightly different. But essentially, I think one of them that I went to was, was this man and he wasn't very helpful. He in fact like blamed me for my issues. Like I think he said something like, I think it was, yeah, my first ever time I went, I actually took my mom with me because I've never been. So I was like, my mom was like, hey, do you want to, do you want me to come with you just to make sure you're okay? I'm like, yeah, sure. After the session, I think he's a psychiatrist because he can give you medication. And he said, oh, do you want me to have a chat with your mom? And I'm like, yeah, like, I mean, I don't really mind. Like she knows I'm going to therapy, literally. And I think he said something like, yeah, like honestly, kids these days just don't understand how hard like parents have to go through to deal with like I don't know what like he said something really like hurtful and I'm just like whoa like 
And I felt like I was to blame for my issue. Like, and he gave me like medication and actually those medication made my situation worse. Like I was having major like roller coaster rides of mood swings. Like, and my flatmates realized that like I looked worse than when I was before. So I actually got off medication, but essentially like I went through different therapists, like which like ones that I don't feel like I connected well with. And that's the thing, like with therapy, it's not, you go find someone and it clicks done. You're like cured. It's not like that. It's kind of like a journey as well. And it's something that you have to also put in an effort to be willing to try out Hmm. different therapists. It's, you know, it's, yeah, it's not one size fit, fit all kind of thing. And I only recently got back to therapy because it was like at work, we were having work exams as well, which that's another whole story about work. Um, Essentially, like I applied for this graduate scheme, which ended up being not the same thing. We got put into a different department and we were got forced into exams, even though it was not part of the contract. But that's, yeah, another thing. Um, So it was really stressful for me because uh, all these exams were accounting exams and I'm really bad at like math (laughs) and all those like number and like understanding those like finance, like accounting and finance kind of terms and stuff like that. So it was very difficult for me. So I was going through a lot. So I went back to therapy and it just kind of continued to now. So I used to do like once a week, but then it's too expensive because I go to private therapy. All the therapy I went before are all free. It was either with the uni or with NHS. Yeah. I was going to ask whether that guy was, she said it started like, second year of uni or yeah around it, actually that was, was i think that was private as well that was in i when i went yeah. home in hong kong right. and it was like recommended by like a family friend but when i came back i went to uni ones i think yeah there was like uni ones and then i went with nhs and then i just realized none of them are helping me so i actually did some like searching by myself and actually found a therapist who's also chinese so I thought maybe they'll understand me and what I'm going through a bit more. And, you know, if there are certain terms that I don't really know how to explain in English, I can explain to her in like Cantonese. So I thought right. that's easier. So, yeah, like I still see her like once every two weeks now. Yeah. Yeah. That first session you said where you went with your mom. I don't know if I'd like, I feel like uncomfortable, like going with my mom and then like being there. It's almost be like, I just want it to be like me and the therapist, like don't want anyone else to know kind of thing. Yeah. I think I was fairly comfortable because I actually having like struggled like with like, you know, uni and whatever, like breakup, whatever, going through all of that together. I actually talked to my mom about it. I think growing up, probably when I was younger, I was not as close with my mom. But then as I grew older, it just naturally came like, you know, you just start sharing things with her. And I guess like my mom is also growing older to like, yeah, she is. Um, so she probably understands things a bit better in terms of like, how do you deal with these kind of things? Right. So I was just sharing with her and she was actually the one who said, you know what, like, let me ask around and see if any of our family friends know any therapists and we can go. So she was the one who kind of was like actively helping me as well, because I didn't really know where to start. So I thought, you know, it's fine. I can just bring her with me. I don't like everything I've told the therapist. I think I've told my mom already. It's just that my mom can't really do much about it. If that makes sense, like all she can do is just sit there and just be like, okay, like, you know, I don't know. What would you say to your friends when you said they're like, you're trying to get all your friends to like go therapy? What would you like say to them? Well, I think a lot of times I tell them, especially when they're sharing what they're going through with me, maybe they're going through like some family issues or 
they're having, you know, they share their like childhood trauma with me and how it's still affecting them. Then I kind of encourage them like, look, you know, maybe you should go talk to someone who's a professional who may be able to like guide you in a certain sense. Like, because as a friend, you can only support them so much, you know, Mm -hmm. but in terms of like actual like steps that you can take to feel better, I think, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, therapists, they trained to be where they are today and they know how to navigate these situations better because I can say something and maybe after what I've said, it has affected them in a negative way. Like, I don't know, for example, if my friend told me they're depressed and I just tell them, well, just be happier. And Mm -hmm. actually by saying that it has made their situation worse. Like, I don't want to be the person that has like caused more harm to my friend. So I definitely think it's better to like have like a professional who understands the issue, who's probably more like trained to deal with certain situations. So I think, yeah, that just, you know, I'm just really open with them. And I obviously share my experience with therapy to make them feel like I'm not just like telling them to do something that I've not tried before. Yeah. We we also had a previous, we had a conversation about therapy with the previous guest and I'm pretty sure she was also said the same thing where she tried NHS first and it just wasn't didn't work for her and so she had to go private in the end is that something you'd recommend is it yeah i think a clear difference i think it depends because firstly with nhs the waiting time is forever and if obviously if you're going through something and if you want to go therapy you don't want to wait another like six to eight months just to talk to someone you want to talk to someone immediately because you clearly know that you're going through something right now right and you want Mm -hmm. to talk to someone now so I think that's one of the downside, but I mean, if you think that you, you can wait and whatever you're going through, you feel like you're feeling fine right now, then maybe you should go for NHS. But I think NHS have a, has a specific, they offer a specific type of therapy, which is, I think, CBT. Is it called CBT? Yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a very specific type of therapy that doesn't work for everyone. So if that doesn't work for you, then... I mean, they don't really offer other types. Maybe they do, but I'm not really sure. But from my, my understanding, they don't really. So it's better to look for like somewhere else. Like for example, the therapy therapist I'm seeing right now, she's an integrative therapist, which means that she also offers like CBT and other types of therapy, but she will change like her ways depending on her client. So maybe some people work with CBTs and she will offer that. And for me, maybe it's not CBT, something else. So she will kind of change how she like talks and how she helps Mm -hmm. me essentially obviously another thing is like cost because private therapy is expensive um you know i actually pay like 60 pounds an hour for therapy right now and it's not something that's accessible for everybody so obviously nhs offers free therapy so you have to kind of weigh out like all those different like pros and cons but i do know there are charities who also offer like therapy as well so Maybe that's something that people can consider as well. But usually if it's free, there's like a limited number of like sessions they can offer you. Like usually it's around six to 10. Whereas if you pay, obviously it's unlimited. So you kind of just have to look into what you think is best for yourself. Is a session, I guess a session can really depend. Like if you like, it can be longer, but is it like generally like an hour? And Yeah, it's generally an hour. And if I think... For my therapist, there's like three op- like options. You can either do, I think, 50 minutes, 60 minutes, or 90 minutes. 
But honestly, I think 50 and 60 minutes, it's like a 10 minute difference and they're a different pay and they're quite similar. Yes, so I'd rather seems, just do yeah. one hour. But if you do 90 minutes, it might be more. And I would say the average is around 60 to 70 pounds for a private therapist, but they can go way higher. Like I've seen therapists yeah. offer like a hundred plus pounds. And I'm just like, well, I can't afford that like every week or every other week. So, yeah. I noticed also you mentioned imposter syndrome. Did this like, is this your experience with imposter syndrome yourself? And did this like play into your mental health? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think, I don't know how to explain. It's so even when I was like graduating high school and going into uni and doing law, I felt like I was kind of out of place because a lot of my friends who were also doing law, they were very much super passionate about law. They wanted to pursue as a career. You know, they're happy to read like textbooks, whatever it is. Like they were very into it. And I feel like I'm constantly trying to like catch up almost because not just because I'm not as interested. It was like, I found it like slightly difficult. Whereas I feel like people say, oh, it's hard, but then it feels like everyone's doing really well. So in that sense, I feel that I wasn't good enough. And on top of that, I didn't really enjoy it. So that was very difficult. But even after that, when I started working, which I didn't work in law, I ended up working in financial services. I started off as an IT auditor and (laughs) I have no clue what I was doing. Firstly, I was really surprised that the company hired people with different degrees, which is great. I think that's good. It means it offers more opportunities for people who didn't study like an accounting or finance or like very much business degree. But again, like I mentioned before the exam, everybody was doing fine. They were like, they learned it in uni as well. So they had exemptions and stuff like that. Whereas, I mean, I had no clue what I was doing. Like I felt like I was studying day after day and still like clueless about what I'm doing. And when I go to work, it feels like people know what they're doing already because they had some kind of like foundation. So. Again, like I felt like I was constantly trying to catch up. Well, I guess like the good side is that I would make sure that I'm really prepared for everything. So I would like put in extra hours just to like make sure that I know what what I'm doing so that people won't think that I'm like completely like clueless because of that. Just like I think this constant idea of like, oh, not being good enough and having to like compensate by doing more things to like show that, hey, I'm actually good enough for this or but then even when you're doing a lot there's still at the back of your mind, there's this little voice saying, oh, you're not doing enough because you don't have this or that. You haven't done this or that. Or, oh, people are doing so much better. And like one day they will find out that you actually don't know anything and you're just like winging your way. But again, like people always say like, fake it till you make it. So I guess like a lot of people are going through the same thing. It's just that they don't show it. Yeah, I I think it's like, for me, it's, it's something like I've, Obviously, those thoughts I feel like cross, like must cross like everyone's mind. Like, like I feel like I've definitely thought like, oh, I could be doing this better. I don't like disappoint anyone. Oh, I don't know if I'm good enough for this, good enough for that. But I think I tend to like just brush it off. I don't know, or like I'm like, okay, don't be stupid, and then get on with it, kind of thing. But I know that's not the same for like, yeah, everyone. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that kind of like the thoughts in your head, like just like passing thoughts and when that becomes like imposter syndrome. Maybe it's, I guess like maybe it's not like full on imposter syndrome, but like definitely 
like for me, it's probably not like some kind of passing thought. I, I like sometimes I try to brush it away, but it kind mm. of constantly comes back. Yeah. And I guess like maybe that also. It affects your life, like how you like yeah. do things. And-, and it's like constantly kind of like stressed out. <laughs> I feel like yeah. I can see because I suffer from like, I would say it's chronic, but it's chronic eczema and like skin condition and like stress plays a huge role. So whenever I'm stressed, it like my eczema gets really bad and it's like yeah. rashy everywhere. Like I have hives and it's like so much, it's, that's why I can, I can see that I'm stressed. And I think, yeah, it becomes like hard to like deal with it sometimes. And it's like a vicious cycle as well. Cause you're like, oh my gosh, I'm stressed. Oh my gosh. Like my skin is getting bad. And then you get more stressed and then you think about work. You're like, oh my gosh, like I'm not doing this well. But yeah, like that's why therapy works because sometimes you just like kind of all these like thoughts build up and you have no outlet. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people feel like by sharing these like things, you're like burdening your friends or you don't want to show your friends that you're like struggling almost. You want to, and you probably think that, oh, because they're probably struggling as well. You don't want to like share your issues with them. So I think a therapist is great because essentially you can dump everything to them and they won't feel I mean, obviously they're human as well. They will feel overwhelmed, but because it's that they're trained to do this, they know how to like deal with these situations almost. Yeah. I remember during third, third year, I think it was third year, third year of uni. It was like during exam period, like, like as the period, like just before exams, like when you're revising. And then I think I like might have like woken up one day and I had all these like, kind of like spots, like all over my hands or not like spot. They weren't. Well, like spots, so like kind of like spots. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. And I was like, well, "What the fuck with this?" It was like really itchy. Everything. I've never had it before in my life. And then I was like looking it up, and apparently it was like eczema. It was like caused to stress. And I was like, "What the fuck is like what?" <laughs> like I didn't know I was stressed. Like I can't know what what is this. I didn't know like at that time like stress could like cause like biological kind of things. Yeah, which just seemed weird to me at the time. Hamish, is imposter syndrome anything you've ever thought about, come across? Not really. (laughs) Sometimes I I like I kind of struggle with the definition of imposter syndrome. I won't lie. Like one second, I'm just going to double check here because every time I hear it, it's like feeling that you don't like belong, right? Like feeling like an imposter. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of not. It's like I don't really think of it that way. I think about doing what I need to do, but like. Yes, because I don't like stop to think about things like that. I probably don't do myself any favors, you know. If I can't do it, I'm gonna try to do it in some way. If that makes sense, or learn how to do it. But like, I was thinking of the stress point. Like, other factors that could show like stress, even though you don't feel like you feel it, is like loss of sleep or like gray hairs, you know. And I was discussing. Oh, I'm going gray as well. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. So like, I was discussing this literally with Tej. What's today? Today's Sunday. On Friday night. Because he he was like fearing like you know be, becoming bold faster, and so on. And I was like, I mean, I'm not stressed about that. I don't feel like I have that. If I'm stressed, I feel like I see more white hairs. But since I got my hair dyed, I can't really always see it. Like it's blended <laughs> in there. So <laughs> I'm in a situation where I can at least yeah kind of ignore that to an extent, but maybe just try to take less on. So, but yeah, stress wise, I'd say I don't know. I feel like maybe if you're stressed, you also may want to do less, but it's not obvious, you know. I know. I have a thing a lot where I'm like, I don't, I don't think I'm stressed, and then I like look in the mirror and I'm like getting grey hairs, and I'm like, am I stressed? Like, why am I stressed? But I don't like think I'm stressed. 
but then it's like I'm questioning like but am I stressed uh, do I even know if I'm stressed I don't know yeah I think it's because we keep ourselves in so much heat all the time like in our own heads like we don't necessarily it's like I'm kind of metaphorically saying this we don't we may not feel it because we may have been kept at that pace for example for, with the podcast for two years but it's there we just don't really stop to acknowledge it so yeah but the stress factor the like and in future years, I want to see if, like, if I can reduce workload in general, see what happens. But ideally, I need to do it sooner rather than later before we turn into full heads or grey. <laughs> but I don't have too many greys speaking, especially compared to others our age. But I guess it's how you, like, you know, interpret and do things in the first place, right? Because, I don't know, I feel like I don't stop to acknowledge those kind of things. I just, I just move. I feel like the world's always moving. you got to keep moving. But obviously, I do recommend breaks. I don't recommend doing our methodologies. It's just that I feel like the day we stop to try and do that, it's going to be a massive influx. And right now, if I'm not forced to do that influx, I might as well just carry on, which is obviously bad in practice. But if other people have the chance to take the break, take the break. <laughs> Don't do what we do. But yeah, like I do, I do think about those cases, like the day you know it catches up, because I don't want to see a head full of grey at like 30. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, he done that. Because you're already going bald, so. Who's going bald? <laughs> you see a hairline going, mate. My hair has been fine, bro. I'm joking. Talk to me about it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure most of our squads, I'm probably one of the people with a better hairline. <laughs> okay. <laughs> bro, your, your white hairs joking. are more concerning than me because I barely have any white hairs. Yeah, it's no, my white, my white hairs are bad, man. I'm not going to lie. They are bad. The, uh, but no, I can, I'll be a silver fox. It's fine. I want to touch on this before we, like, before we like, come to the end of the episode. And I don't know if this actually like even... Also links into the imposter syndrome, but you mentioned at the very beginning you moved, you were born in Hong Kong, right? And then you moved to the UK at 13 and you, you went to boarding school. Leaving Hong Kong was actually a breath of fresh air to some extent because like, I'm like the eldest in my family. So I have two sub- younger siblings. So growing up, there has been like a lot of expectations of how I should be and how I should act or, you know, always about, you know, you have to be a good role model for your younger siblings because even among my wider family and my relatives, I'm the eldest female person that young, like as in, in terms of like the cousin range. Mm. So in that sense, it's a lot of pressure, even if, if it's invisible pressure, almost like they expect you to act a certain way and do certain things. And they're always asking, Oh, what are you doing? So I think leaving Hong Kong was like, Oh my gosh, finally I can like be somewhere else and I can have kind of do things at my own pace and, have like personal space because even when I was in Hong Kong I shared like a same bed with my sister so we shared like yeah so it's like very much like really like yeah there's no personal space um anyways it was nice but I think boarding school is a different kind of experience were you at one where you you stay there like yeah like you just stay there for you don't even you don't go I only went home like during term breaks so that's I think you have three term breaks a year and when I was really young when I yeah when I was like 13 14 I probably went home more often but then I have a guardian in the UK so I would like when I was I think probably like 15 16 I would just like go home maybe once a year or twice but that's pretty much it so was that like a family friend or like did you know no the guardian's like random person that's like qualified to be a guardian so they probably like have certain I don't want to say it's not qualifications but yeah they're yeah this person right but actually interestingly my guardian at that time her husband was the ex-mayor of bristol <laughs> so in that sense okay. it was like and she cooked really she had a, like i think she had a helper so 
they cook really good Chinese food. So it was nice. But anyways, that's beside <laughs> the point. I think, yeah, boarding school was fine for me in some sense. But then I think a lot of things that I went through during boarding school, I didn't really realize that it was problematic until I left and I start uni. A problematic things like there's a lot of like subtle racism, which like um, I mentioned when I was like messaging you on Instagram, yeah. where, you know, there was there was a few incidents personally. And there was one like really big incident with my friend as well. But personally, there were things like, for example, I would I would love English literature growing up. I love reading and I wanted to do English literature for my A-levels. And the first thing my teacher said to me, my English literature teacher, was that, are you sure? Um, I don't think, I think you would struggle with English literature because it's not your first language. And I said, well, clearly I'm not because I want to do it. And I did well in my GCSE, so I don't know why I can't. Yeah, I struggle with was... English literature and it's my first language. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because like, so it's like constantly like trying to like push you back and just tell you that you're not good enough. So maybe that, again, like puts into the whole imposter syndrome, I'm not sure. But or things like I remember we were me and this other classmate was doing um, a science book on molecular gastronomy and we we're like writing it out and did a lot of research, finished it. And we thought it was really good. And we submitted it to our physics teacher. And the first thing he said was like, I think it's too good to be true. I feel like you guys might have plagiarized. And we said, but why? And he said, oh, no offense, but you're international students. So English is not your first language. Again, about that. English is not my first language. And he actually took the whole book to the nearby uni, which is uni- University of Bristol, to get it plagiarism, to have that plagiarism check thing. Is it that deep? Exactly. <laughs> and it came back like what, like 8% or something. So it's barely anything. Like 8% yeah. is like fine because most of it, they also check like, you know, referencing and stuff like that. Yeah. You have to get the information from somewhere. Exactly. I mean, like- so after that, he was still not fine with it. And he said, you know what? I'm going to let, we call like, like the British girl day girls because they don't, like sleep overnight right, in the school. Yeah. So they're day girls. They were like, oh, I want to let the day girls check as well because they're fluent in English. And I'm just like in my head. Wait, other oh. students? Yeah, they're all students. No, but he wanted to get other students to check. Yeah, other students to check who are like British, like English, like white, okay. essentially. So it was annoying. I think when I was younger, I just, I didn't really see it as like a racing. I just saw like, why don't you trust me? Like English may not be my first language, but it's pretty much my first language because Growing up in Hong Kong, I went to a kindergarten that taught English and Chinese. Actually, mm. we were taught English, Cantonese, and Mandarin. And growing up, all these three languages we were taught throughout school. So I can't really tell if it's like my first language or not, but I spoke all three languages, having like I was forced to do that even in school. So, yeah. so yeah, it was a bit of like, oh, I didn't realize that I wasn't that good that teachers would constantly like say, oh, I don't trust you because it's not your first language. Like things like that and, you know, like people just not believing in you at all and just thinking, you know, yeah, like all these things. But honestly, compared my experience with one of my friend's experience, it's like even worse. She's Thai and I remember we, oh, like as international students, even if you speak English fluently, you're forced to do something called English as a second language class. Right, And it is honestly thinking about it's really silly because they literally treat you like people who can't speak any English. (laughs) And it was kind of like, yeah. Was it like an easy class? It was super easy. easy. Like you have to do normal English class, but they put you into extra class as well. 
because they think that you can't speak English well, which honestly, everyone in my class, everybody can speak fluent English. It's just that we're not British. So they put you in that class, which, yeah, it's a bit weird again. But essentially, one of the tasks we had to do was give a presentation about your home country. And my Thai friend obviously gave a presentation about Thailand. And in Thailand, there's actually, they're very open about like homosexuality and trans, like trans mm-hmm. people and, you know, what they call like, quote unquote, lady boys. So she was just like talking about that. And everyone was really interested because I think a lot of people never been to Thailand, don't really know what it's about. But then the English teacher, this is another English teacher, got really offended, mm-hmm. was like told her to like stop presenting and said that she's making people uncomfortable by talking about that. Because of that, she got detention from it and she got sent to like the head of the English department to tell people that she should never talk about like, you know, homosexuality and stuff like that because it's inappropriate. So I'm just like, not only is my school like <laughs> low-key like racist, they're also like homophobic and all kinds of things. So yeah, I didn't really, and I didn't know about the story until I graduated and I was in uni and I was, we're having some kind of reunion with our friends and our friend, she brought it up and I was like so shocked because she didn't tell anyone. She kind of just suffered by herself throughout those years and she actually got ptsd from boarding school like she is on medication and she got depression because on top of that she went through other things so yeah like i'm not saying boarding school is terrible but i think there's a lot of things people could have done better in terms of like how you take care of kids but yeah it's a bit of a <laughs> roller coaster ride again yeah i yeah that's that sounds like yeah really bad i i like a bad my dad went to boarding school. I know it was years ago. So I just grew up with the notion that boarding school is bad. But mm-hmm. I know I've like gone to know like lots of friends who went boarding school and they seem to like it. But then they're coming from like British, British families and British backgrounds. But yeah, that's really sad. I think a lot of it's like well, the stuff like that you went through, I think might be they're just like scared or like afraid that like international students have like English as good as theirs and like scared that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, jealous almost. But uh, yeah, it's, it's disappointing to see, to be honest, or hear. Yeah, but even like my friends who are like British born and bred, um, mm. obviously they speak really good English and they have a British accent. People still constantly like question, oh, are you sure you're born here or where you're actually from? You know, mm. all these questions. I think as like, you know, Asians and not just Asians, like, you know, ethnic minorities in general. In the UK, like you always get questioned about, you know, your qualification, where you're from, why can you do this? And people always kind of, I don't know, maybe, as you said, maybe it comes out of like fear that, oh, why are these people so good? And almost like scared that. It's like the, oh, they're coming over here. They're going to take our jobs. Yeah, like, like steal our jobs. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, they don't understand like, you know, even let's not talk about like British born Asians, like me coming from a different like country it's not that easy to like find a job here. It's not like we came and then they saw me and they're like, yes, love that immigrant. Come and come and work <laughs> for my company. It's not like that. It, it goes through a long process of like, like the companies all have to prove that by hiring a person who's not British, that there's absolute reason for that. And they're over oh, and yeah, above yeah, yeah. people, right? And you have to That's be the same in criteria. America as well. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not easy. So I don't understand why people like are so obviously because maybe they don't really understand the process but you know there are certain industries that they really require like people from different countries like you know in in the healthcare industry you know most of doctors and nurses are from all over the world and maybe that's because there's not enough maybe british doctors or british nurses i can't really comment because i don't really know much about it but 
there must be a reason why they want to hire more people internationally because they need the resources, right? So, well, I mean, people always need to find a scapegoat for everything. So, yeah. But yeah, th- thanks for like sharing all, the, all that stuff with us. Unfortunately, we are coming towards, towards the end of the episode. So how we, how we end off like each episode, we have like some final questions, a call out and a shout out. So if you start off with like the final questions, our first one for you is what is one thing that you would change in the world? I actually have like a funny answer for that and also like a serious one, but I was thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Just have nice bathrooms everywhere. But I don't know, maybe it's because I was talking to someone about it, but I was like, we should get rid of capitalism (laughs) like completely because it's literally the root of all evil. (laughs) It created all these like, like companies with monopoly power. It, you know, rich people become richer essentially. And I feel like a lot of the environmental issues is caused by big companies because Mm. I mean, one person like me, what am I going to do? So yeah, I was just like, you know, get rid of it. But the serious answer is honestly, I think, uh, I don't know, with everything that's been happening in the world, I think, you know, as cheesy as this sounds, we just, people just need to have a bit more kindness. And I'm not saying like to like, just, you know, give all your money to charity and like, you know, and that's it. It's just little things like, you know, in London, I think a lot of people may agree with me is that if you see someone on the streets or if some you see someone fall down, you never help them out. Or if you see someone in this train station and they're holding a big suitcase and they're struggling, people usually ignore. Mm-hmm. And this comes from a personal experience because one day when I was going to work, I was late. So I was kind of walking down the escalator and I actually fell and it ripped my pants. It's so embarrassing. And <sighs> it was bleeding like crazy. And I looked up and everyone just like stared at me and just left. Like nobody helped me out. And I felt like humanity has completely like <laughs> failed me. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I felt so embarrassed because I'm like, oh my gosh, my pants are ripped. So I had to like limp home. And thankfully the DLR station was really close to where I live. So it was fine. But yeah, like I just thought people just need a little, just extra kindness. Just, you know, even if they don't want to help me out, just say, hey, are you okay? Like that's it. Um. But yeah, people just need, just, yeah, yeah, a little bit more kindness. I would say that's what I change about the world. That's mad as well because basically yesterday night um, when I was chilling with my mates, yeah, there was this guy that was like alone in the park, and uh, like I thought I heard him crying, yeah, and we were gonna leave, yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, guys, because one of them thought they were laughing, and I'm like, okay, let's just quickly ask this guy, yeah, because yeah, that's where like if something happens to him and we're seen leaving this, it's not gonna look good at us, yeah. yeah. So we went and asked, and then the guy said he's like sad, but we don't know. We asked him like, is there anything we can do? And then he's like, nothing. But then he stayed there. Like, I think he was like crying. And like, we, we basically just moved to the path and we stayed on the path, make sure like, you know, he could left. Like, we couldn't necessarily do anything. I don't know what we could like do, you know, like we didn't want to do it worse. But if we saw him harming himself, we could at least stop that. Yeah. And then obviously call for help because we were just in that situation where if we left at the time we wanted to leave and something else happened after, you know, then we would mm-hmm. be like, you know, it's like, it's going to rest on your head. And it's like, it's better that we're at least somewhere nearby, but we're not like scary nearby, if that makes sense. I don't know how to yeah. like explain it. It's like, you don't know what to do in the situation. And like, sometimes just checking on a person is like a wiser thing to do, you know? You never know like the difference it could make. Yeah. I think as Steph said, just even asking like if they're okay, like, exactly, yeah. like, like in, in your situation, Steph, I don't know if I'd even like want like, I think if people ask me if I'm okay, but like I'd also just want like the ground to probably swallow me up whole and like no one talk <laughs> yeah. to me, like just leave me, let me just go on with it. And I'll, I'll I just run want away. to teleport home like immediately. Yeah. So you were b- bleeding, I assume, from like your knee or something, right? 
it wasn't the knee it was like is it the shin like the like shin below the sh- like, yeah i still have scars till this day what happens if like you have glass on you and then it causes some kind of like infection and i was like super scared and i was like checking up like all my like medical records to make sure i have like the tetanus shot or something which prevents these things from happening right. so i was like more worried about that but yeah like people just yeah and i sometimes I see in the train station when i remember there was this girl she was holding a huge suitcase and it was she was struggling and she was clearly struggling and nobody helped her even like guys who are like really big who can clearly like hold it up and i was just walking and i'm just like why didn't nobody even offer so i just went up and offer and she was so shocked because she's like oh oh okay are you sure you can do it and i was like yeah it's fine let's just do this together <laughs> but yeah just things like that i'm just like i'm so surprised why people like just don't care and it kind of sucks yeah i feel that i feel that the next question is going to be what is one piece of advice you'd give to a younger you to not fear failure i think a lot of people don't have courage to do things because they think that they will fail and i feel like this is probably me younger growing up like there's a lot of things i don't want to do because i feel like i'm probably going to fail and i feel embarrassed almost that people would think that i am not good because oh you she tried this and she didn't do she can't do this or something like that but i think yeah like just have more courage to do new things and try new things and you know just like how i started the platform if you don't try it you never know if it's going to succeed or not and even if you tried something and you didn't succeed like so what at least you tried it right and you won't regret 10 years down the line that you didn't try something or you didn't do this or that so you know just have a bit more courage and don't fear failure and even if you fail, just use it as, I don't know, like a learning opportunity to either improve, like whatever, how you're doing it, whatever it is, or yeah, just learn from it and just be better. Life is too short. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's something similar. A couple, couple recent guests have also said. Third and final question. I'm not sure if you have one because we like <laughs> spoke about it beforehand, but if you do, what has been your most memorable third wheeling experience? Yeah, I was telling you I didn't really have any memorable one, but I think it's because I'm quite lucky in the sense that a lot of my friends, even if they're like dating or anything and I kind of hang out with them as a third wheeler or fifth wheeler, whatever it is, they're pretty chill with their partners and they're not like overly like PDA or they would ignore you and just like run off. (laughs) So in that sense, I was able to like just have fun with like both, like both of them, like as a couple. So yeah, not really any memorable ones. No, it's just that's good friends. Yeah. They're not the snakes in your dream. That's, that's, that's fine. <laughs> Definitely not. Have to find out who they are. <laughs> yeah, the next section is a call out or a nomination. You can call out or nominate as many people as you'd like. Yeah, like I was thinking about it and there's a lot of people I think would be great for the channel and I was just like, might as well write a list. But on top of my head, I would definitely recommend a few like For example, my good friend Ray Roberts, he's a videographer, very talented and one funny thing about him is he owns like a few birds at home as well. And they always fly on his shoulder when he's talking, when we're doing Zoom calls. So I thought that was super cool. And he has a lot of insight into like making film and his journey, um, how he started in, with YouTube and things like that. And another person I would definitely recommend is Tori. She is, I actually interviewed him, interviewed her before, but I thought she would definitely add a lot of uh, add a lot to your platform as well. Um, she's an environmentalist. She's an activist. She's a mental health advocate. She did a lot. She even went for the, you know, when you sail across the ocean for like charity and stuff like that. She did okay, that as well. Yeah. So amazing person in general. She also runs a little jewelry shop on the side. 
and all the profit goes back into like like her charity work and her activism work. So again, another amazing human being. I think, oh, and I would definitely recommend Simon and Sophia from Bam and Beyond. So Bam and Beyond is short for British Asian media. And they are like a group of mostly East and Southeast Asians who like creates like like videos, like films, and they also have two podcasts on the side. Okay. Wow. One is called the actually they have three podcasts, I think. I think the BAM show, the is it BAM show? The Bao show. They have one called Not Your Typical Asian Girl. Okay, I feel bad <laughs> now. I can't like can't remember, but like they have a few podcasts. Yeah. And like Simon is the founder and he like started like way back. And Sophia I think joined last year, but she does most of the podcasts and stuff like that. So again, very interesting um, people in general. So yeah, I think that's that's it. But if I think of any more, I'll I'll share it with you. Yeah, yeah. Just just let us know, and uh, we'll we'll tag all of them when we when we release your episode. Yeah. And last but not least, we have the shout out bit. So basically, anything you want to like plug, promote, tell people to check out. Uh, yeah, floor's yours. We'll put like links links in the description. So go for it. Um, sure. Um, you can follow Asians in Britain on all platforms, including Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube. You can also follow our podcast, High Expectations, on Instagram as well. And you can listen to it on all platforms, I believe. And that's pretty much it. I mean, if you're interested in my Twitter account, like feel free to follow it as well. It's at Plupigram. <laughs> if you want to know why it's called Plupigram, you can just DM me and I'll explain it to you. <laughs> yeah, like. That's pretty much it. Awesome. Hamish? Yeah, I'm just going to have a few charities linked to help out, whether it's like Afghan refugees or so on, because their situation is pretty dire right now. And by the time this episode releases, it'll probably be way worse. So yeah, um, they probably need some help or especially when their visas, I think the student visas are getting declined all of a sudden, which is a bit really scummy from our country like right now. So yeah, just we'll have a couple of charities linked to hopefully help out whoever can be helped from there cool I'm, I'm just gonna link like a few um few of our previous podcasts i'm gonna find which one of our podcast guests have been on asians in britain i think there's been a few like sonali laura harrison anu a few a couple others as well so zara yeah. as well zara yeah zara's recent one see so, yeah, i'll find those episodes and link it link in the description but yeah that brings us to the end thanks so much steph for uh, coming on oh thank you for having me it's really an honor no no pleasure's ours and yeah hope everyone else enjoyed the episode and we'll catch you next week all right see you guys see you bye, bye.